Hello and welcome to the Music Matters Media Podcast. I am your host, Lisa, and today I have a very exciting interview for you guys. I am going to be speaking with That Boy Dope. Dope standing for defying other people's expectations. And let me tell you guys, That Boy Dope is his stage name, but his actual name is David. He is based out of Long Island, and I recently got the chance to see him perform live at SOBs in New York City. And wow, what a performance that was. I am so excited to be speaking with him today. We have a lot to go over and a lot to talk about, including the new album that he just dropped earlier this year. But of course, as always, before we can get into that, we have our top three international countries of this week. That's right, our top three listeners internationally. So let's get right into it. Here we go. Coming in at number three, we have the United Kingdom. Coming in at number two, we have the Philippines. And coming in all the way at number one for the first time ever on our top three, soaring to the number one spot, we have India. So congratulations, guys. This is such a huge deal. The United Kingdom at number three, number two, the Philippines, and number one, India. Thank you guys so much for all the support and love and spreading this podcast. And thank you for everybody who takes the time to listen. I cannot... Thank you guys enough. And for all those who did not make our top three this week, have no fear because you can make it next week or any week after that. All you have to do is share this podcast with your friends, with your families, with any loved ones you may have, and we could be shouting you out next. So here we go, guys. Not only do I hope that you enjoy this interview, but I hope you learn a lot from it. Without further ado, here is my interview with David Rust, a.k.a. That Boy Dope. David, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Appreciate it. Can you do me a favor and please introduce yourself for our listeners? Okay, so I go by the name of Dad Boy Dope. Define other people's expectations. I'm an artist, a rap artist from Long Island, Elmont area. I'm here to tune in with y'all and kick it with y'all on the Music Matters podcast. I love the meaning behind your name, defying other people's expectations. Can you go dive in even further and explain how you came up with that? So, um, originally, it's kind of a long story. Um, originally, I had went by the name Dope Boy D, and that originated from my um, friend in high school. His name is Eric. Yeah, one of his cousins was like a known rapper named Curtin. Oh, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with them, but he's done stuff with like Kendrick, Schoolboy Q, Pusha T, um, Kanye West even co signed him. But yeah, his like his moniker was uh Dope Boy C. Like this was like MySpace era and um I took his name and just put Dope Boy D. Gotcha. And, um, it was like a play off of his name. Yeah, it was a play off his name, and I told him on his wall in MySpace, I was like, yo, you inspired me so much, I'm gonna um, go by the name Dope Boy D now. And just over the years, you know, as I got older, I realized it kind of sounded a bit um, corny to just, like, steal somebody's name like that, but um, I switched it around to that Boy Dope, because originally I just thought it was a cool, catchy little name, but I wanted to put a meaning behind it, and in like 2015, 2016, I came up with the acronym to find other people's expectations. And that's kind of like my brand, just to go above and beyond, you know, what people 
try to set for you, like, you know, just going beyond the boundaries, going beyond the standards of society and just life in general. That's where I came from. And just now you mentioned some legendary artists. So I'm wondering, growing up, who did you listen to and who helped influence your music now? Growing up, I'm like, I'm from a like super, super Jamaican household. So I really didn't listen to rap that much in my young, like, child years. So, like, I listened to a lot of reggae artists, um, like Buju Bonten, uh, Capleton. But as I got older, um, I was exposed to more music, just, like, being around friends and stuff. Um, Jay-Z, Mary J. Blige, Lauryn Hill, Nas. Classics. Yeah, classic artists. And um, that kind of, like, made me fall in love with just music in general. Can you talk about when you first started getting into music and when you wanted to pursue a career in hip-hop? Okay, so my brother was a poet and like he used to my older brother's a poet and he used to just recite poems for the family and stuff and I just thought it was so dope that he was able to captivate a room by using words and like I kind of just wanted to do something in that vein so um as a kid and growing up um into a teenager I used to just write um poetry just creative writing all types of stuff but um what actually inspired me to rap was when I saw Jay-Z's Big Pimpin' video. Nice. The first time I accidentally, like, um, ran into it when I was flipping channels, and I wasn't really allowed to watch BET at the time, but, like, I kind of <laughs> just snuck and said, you know what, I'm going to do it anyway. And I just fell in love with the imagery. Like, I just knew that I wanted to be in that in that field, and I really didn't know what it was, but it just looked cool, so I wanted to be a part of it. And, um... Yeah, that kind of gave me the motivation to just, like, you know, make songs, and at least attempt to make songs, because I really wasn't good at making songs as a kid. But um, hip-hop culture really uh, influenced me to make music and want to be in this field. Out of all the genres out there, because you mentioned Jamaican music, reggae, stuff like that, but what really drew you to hip-hop? Like, I felt it on a different level, like, some of the other music that I listened to growing up, like reggae and R&B, um, it's more of like a feeling. It's more of a vibe that you feel. But like I, were, I was more connected to the words when it came to like rap music. So like a lot of like my early uh, listeners were from artists like Biggie, Nas, Jay-Z. Yeah, and like those artists, a lot of them subject matter is just like story based. So I was able to connect with those stories and I wanted to incorporate my own story, my own personal um, life experiences and my music. And that's what just like made me feel connected. It's like a thing that you can't really describe. Like when I hear certain records that just speak to me, um, that's what I wanted to do. Like it, it gave me the motivation to want to be able to impact somebody else's life through my words and my experiences, but still touch them, you know, in a personal way. And how long have you been creating music now? Man, uh, so I've been creating music over 10 years. I want to say like 13 years. Um, officially recording music, 10, 11 years. Wow, that's a lot of history. Yeah, it's been a long journey, a long journey. What advice can you give for people who want to create music, but they're in a funk? What do you think is the best way to keep the creativity flowing and really put yourself out there? Man, as an artist, we go through that so much. You know, it's so hard to just, like, stay motivated, especially if you're not um, seeing instant gratification from it, but... You know, I just recently put out an album called Reroute, and that's basically, like, the premise of the album. Like, I was in a huge funk, a huge depression, like, just a huge writer's block. But my advice to artists that are, like, going through that same struggle is to just fall in love with the process. It, like, really embrace each part of it, like, the writing of the music, the recording, um... The, the mixing and mastering stages, then going out and performing it, 
you know, having people like it and dislike it and not really care about it. So, like, it's just a matter of falling in love with each step as opposed to just the result. Because everybody wants to be successful. Everybody wants their um, recognition for their music because it takes a lot. It takes a lot of, you know, of your energy. It takes a lot of, you know, just your spirit. When you, when you really care about the craft, whatever uh, genre of music you're making, but just fall in love with the process, fall in love with, you know, the journey that you're on because every artist's journey is different and you may not get the result that you wanted in the beginning, but I think the gratification is just to like be able to look back and say that you never gave up wherever you end up, just fall in love with the process. So exactly like you said, I could not agree more. For everyone, the process is different. Everybody's journey is different. What is your personal writing and recording process like? Like some artists are able to uh, have a concept in their head and just like make a song with no music and uh, kind of build around the words. But for me, it, it starts with the beat. I have to like get in a vibe with whatever beat it is and from there I mold the song so usually I start with the concept and then um I actually have like a record I, I have a home recording studio to like test out different ideas and lay down reference tracks so a lot of my songs start at the house first and um yeah I just I just lay down melodies I do a lot of mumbling because I don't really write down lyrics anymore I, I used to write down lyrics on the notebook, and I started writing on my phone, but now it's just easier for me to just, like, kind of freestyle the records through and then go back and, like, actually put, you know, actual verses and hooks together and, like, compose the song that way as opposed to, like, listening to a beat and just writing it from scratch. So I kind of just freestyle my way and feel my way through and then go back and lay down, like, final verses, final takes for each part of the song. Can you explain the art of the freestyle? Because a lot of people don't know how hard that really is. That's a talent within itself for somebody to be able to do that on the spot because a lot of people can, quote-unquote, rap or put themselves out there, but not everybody can freestyle off the top of their head. So can you explain freestyling versus sitting down and writing down the lyrics and what that personally means to you? So the actual definition of freestyling is just... Rapping off the top, no premeditated lyrics, no premeditated bars, and you literally just go off, you know, off the drop of a dime. But in today's world, <laughs> freestyling is actually just like reciting uh, written verses that you had over a random beat. So you may not, you may have written a verse over like a certain tempo, certain BPM, but the ability to take that verse and like, match it, being able to keep beat on a different, you know, BPM, whether it's slower or faster, is like today's version of freestyling, but the actual art of freestyling is just like going in cold and just rapping to whatever instrumental, whatever beat, or just like acapella. And to me, that's like the ultimate skill that I'm really not even going to like take credit like for, because I'm not really great at freestyling. I have to I have to think about what I'm saying before I say it. So, you know, I definitely commend rappers that are able to just, like, freestyle well and, um, you know, keep people entertained. But, um, you know, it's definitely a skill that's, like, lost in today's genre because not many people do it, and then the people that actually do freestyle don't do it well enough for it to be, like, entertaining enough for people to care about it. Right. It's all about capturing people and getting their attention. Yeah. So let's talk about the production side of things, because to me, that's equally as important as the lyrics. Why is having a good beat to rap over so important? And as you were saying before, you're talking about BPM. For those who may not know, beat per minute. Why is it so important to find these beats? And how do you decipher what makes a good beat versus something that's just average that you can go back in and work on? Well, that's subjective. I think it depends on 
one, like what type of music you make, um, you know, what type of artist you, you want people to view you as, uh, and just like what you connect to, because, um, you know, for me, it varies. Like I may rap on something that's very sample based. I, I, I may like vibe to something that's, uh, a little bit more up tempo, maybe like clubby type beats or, um, you know, it could be something very minimal. It really depends on what type of song you're trying to make. And, um, you know, finding beats is definitely hard if you, you're, you know, don't have connections. But fortunately enough for me, like, um, I know a few producers and, um, you know, I have enough resources to pay for certain beats. You know, a lot of up-and-coming guys don't really have the resources to pay for beats, so they end up, like, ripping songs off of YouTube or, you know, whatever platform that they may find a beat that they like, and, you know, they rap on it and make songs on it, but, you know, if you really want to take it serious, you have to have that communication with producers, you know, whether you're leasing a beat, whether you're purchasing the exclusive right, you just have to have that communication, so there's no... uh confusion when a producer sees, you know, a random artist rapping or singing over their song, uh, singing or rapping over a beat that they made. And, you know, you just want to be respectful to the producers because I think they get slept on the most because at least now today, that's 90% of the record. If people don't like the beat, nine times out of ten, they're just going to skip it or disregard it. So, like, now more than ever, producers should definitely be on top of their business because I'm telling you, like, it's so easy to just, like, get a hold of beats and not pay for them. And a lot of producers get um, the short end of the stick because some of these records do become popular and, you know, the producer gets no credit for it or little credit. So to me, now more than ever, it's, it's, it's the most important thing, actually, you know, that's contributing to a record. Would you like to give a shout out to producers that helped you with this album? Yeah, um, most definitely. Um, Chris Wheeler, he did the intro to my album. You have Juno Adonis, you have B. Young, you have Sez, um, Ron Supreme, uh, Lil Zane, OCB. Yeah, you know, all those guys are very, 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 very talented producers, so shout out to them. The album is so well produced. That was one of the first things I noticed while listening to it was the production. So shout out to everybody that helped you along the way with that. Yeah, shout out to them. So as you know, hip-hop is a very competitive genre. So what do you think separates you from other artists and what makes you different and stand out amongst the rest? For the most part, I would just say, like, my my voice, it's like, it commands attention on, on songs. I think that, you know, just years and years of recording, like, I understand my voice, so I know how I want to sound, and I know whether I say something that's super lyrical or, like, something that has, you know, a lot of content, like, I want you to pay attention to the message more than, you know, the delivery of it. I'm able to use my voice as an instrument, and I know how to command the listeners here. Um, I think that's my biggest strength. Um, what separates me musically, I don't know, it's going to sound cliche, but <laughs> I just think I'm me. I have, a, I have a different story than everybody else. I don't necessarily try to fit in what, you know, what's hot, quote-unquote, what's popular. I just kind of stick to what I like and, you know, still keep in mind that I know the, the sole purpose is to gain attention and, you know, have the exposure, have enough exposure so people listen and feel connected to the music. So, I don't know. I just think that I'm me. I think that I know how I want to sound on the record. I'm not just following trends. So the fact that I have conviction with my voice is what sets me apart. So let's tap into that a little bit more. Let's talk about your personal story and the message behind your music. What inspires you to write music? To help the person that's just like me. Like, you know, as I put out more music, I'll get more into, like, personal 
stuff and personal battles that I've had, but you know, I want I want I want to empower people that don't necessarily feel like they have somebody to like push them. I want to give motivation to people that feel like you know there's really no way to break into. You know, it's not just music. Whatever industry you're trying to break into, I want to be the soundtrack for that person. I want to be the reason why. I want to be part of the reason why people wake up and do what they do. I just want to give that motivation. I want to make people, you know, feel good about themselves. I want people to have fun to my music too. But, you know, the most important thing is just to give them that push because artists like Jay, Nas, even like um, some Lil Wayne songs, like they gave me motivation. Like they gave me that, that ambition. Even like, Artists like Meek Mill, he's like the, the perfect example of that. Just like music that will keep you pushing when you feel like, you know, you have nothing left to give. But certain songs will put you in a certain space to just like go out there and achieve whatever it is that you want to achieve. So, you know, circles back to my brand. Like, I want people to defy other people's expectations. Like, anybody that feels like the world is stacked against them, the odds are stacked against them, I want to be the soundtrack that, you know, helps you push through and break through those barriers. So when people are down and out, you want them to play one of your songs and listen to your music and get inspired and help them along the way in their own journey. Most definitely. That is really such a positive influence in the music industry because it is so easy to kind of lean towards more of the party style of music or whatever is trendy. But I think that is really commendable that you want to really push out a positive message and help inspire people and just reach out and help as many people as you possibly can. I appreciate that, but yeah, like that's that's what I'm in it. I'm in it for, and don't get me wrong, like I'll still make fun music. Like I, I really make music, you know, that's you know fitting to my mood at the time. But overall, like like I said, I just want to be that that soundtrack to people to motivate people and push people. Of course, of course. Do you think dropping a full length album is still as important today? as it was years ago when you were growing up listening to many of these legendary artists that you that you named when you were listening to Jay-Z or Nas or Lil Wayne, Mary J. Blige, any of those people, and you're listening to their full-length album growing up, do you think that's just as important today? Or is this new shift of dropping consistent singles is where the industry is headed towards in the future? Well, um, I think it's, it's a double-sided coin. Like, in one sense, I do think the industry is pushing towards this, like, pushing artists that are single-based because you can, uh, you know, monetize it quickly and just constantly put, put new singles out. And you don't really need that many resources to um, put into an artist, you know, when they're making an album. So, yeah, I think... Labels are kind of geared towards the single-based artists, but, you know, if you just look at the top, the the, the genre, uh, top artists of each genre, they're more than likely going to be album artists. So if you look at hip-hop, you got J. Cole, you got Logic, you got Drake, of course, you got Kendrick. Those guys constantly put out um, great bodies of work. Absolutely. And they're, able to tour and they're able to have longevity. So, in my mind, as an artist, I feel like you should have a good mix of both. You want to keep the masses engaged, so you drop singles. You try to, you know, get as many people um, listening to your music as possible. But you also want to, uh, once you get to a point where you have a cult fan base or a core fan base, you have to drop that project, whether you know, and now I don't think it's as important because, you know, artists call albums, mixtapes, projects, compilations, they just label it whatever. But, you know, you want to put out a solid body of work from time to time just to keep people that's been, you know, invested in your journey from the day, from day one. You want to keep them invested so you keep them up to date with your projects. But, um, yeah, if you want longevity drop projects, if you just in it to... Um, make a quick dollar or just 
get fame and popularity, try to get that single that plays in the clubs, on the radio, you know, invest in that. You know, I think there's a career for both both type of artists, single-based and album-based artists. So you're going to get a kick out of this. Um, I always like to follow stuff that's going to help me better myself, whether that be educationally or motivationally or just self-development, stuff like that, self-help. So I read a quote this morning, and the quote said, when things don't go as expected, trust the reroute. And I couldn't believe I read that this morning. I was like, wow, this is the perfect quote for today because I knew I was going to interview you. And for those who may not know... Yeah, exactly, right? And for those who may not know, you released your debut full-length album titled Reroute on March 29th of this year. So I just have to say, first of all, wow, the universe. And second of all, why did you name the album Reroute? Oh, man. So I named the album Reroute because reroute, reroute, however you want to say it, um, so in 2014, I was um, I met this guy. He had label connections, and you know, for two years, we were he was you know investing in my career. I was performing in front of labels. I was uh, recording at great studios, doing a lot of shows, and you know, for two years up until 2016, you know, he got me. Uh, a meeting with a major label, I'm not going to say the label's name, but he got me an a actual meeting with, with, with the major label, and they were interested in me, and we left that meeting with them saying that they were going to sign me the following Monday, so I think that meeting may have been on a Thursday or Friday, and as a artist that's just trying to break in, that's what you think you want to hear. You want to hear, oh, you know, this label's interested in me, they're going to sign me. Everything's about to change. My life is about to change. Like, I had told my girlfriend, my family members, certain friends. And, like, I just thought, like, I finally reached, you know, the point, you know, that I wanted to be at for all these years. And um, for whatever reason, you know, just bad um, business decisions, you know, that situation fell through. And I ended up not getting signed. So... I just, like, had a huge disdain towards, like, music, the whole music industry, people that, you know, don't keep it 100 with you. Like, I just was just tired of it. I felt like I gave it my all, and this is it. I'm not going to make music anymore. I was depressed. Like, I really didn't want to make music. I didn't want to do anything. You were ready to pack it in. Ready to pack it in. I I was done. But, um, once something is ingrained in you, and once you, like, really believe in yourself, you know, 100%, you know, you, you, you kind of realize that that's just a thing. It's not it's not going to last forever. So that's where the, the title came from. I had to reroute my mentality. Um, I had to ask myself, why did I want to be signed? Was it because of the actual you know, making of the music, the process, or was it the result? You knew you were going to get paid, you knew you were going to be able to do this, that, and third materialistic things, or, like, was it the actual music? And I had to ask myself at the time, because, you know, I have to really be honest, it wasn't the music at the time, because I wasn't really in control of what I was making. I was recording a lot of, you know, trendy stuff. Right. I, I, I wasn't 100% in control of what I was making. I just had little say. Um, I didn't have any leverage, so I was just kind of going with the flow. I just knew that I was in a situation where my life could potentially change, so I was willing to do whatever I needed to do to make that happen. But once I started creating uh, Reroute, I, that was like pretty much the, the foundation. I was like, yo, why do you want to make music? Why is this important to you? And it, it it just like became this thing where I was falling in love with the process again, falling in love with finding beats, talking to producers, coming up with concepts, writing songs, and recording the songs, and then having the confidence to say, you know what, I'm gonna do this on my own, and I'm gonna be, you know, in control of my own destiny. And that's where the whole 
idea of reroute came together. It was just everything that I thought I wanted in music crumbling apart and then just having to restructure, refocus, reroute, and, like, find a new direction. And, you know, I, I was pleasantly surprised because, I'm not going to lie, there were a lot of times where I felt like I wasn't going to make another project, I wasn't going to, you know, give it a go, but I, I definitely feel like I put out a solid body of work, and for it to be my first album, I, could, I wouldn't have had it any other way. Just like super proud of that project. When things don't go as expected, trust the reroute. Yeah. Incredible stuff. Incredible stuff. The album is nine songs long and nearly 30 minutes long. So what was the recording process like for this album? How long did it take to record? Give me the whole backstory. I started making this album in 2017, I believe. So it was just like an idea. It was kind of like my my. It was like my slogan to just like continue to, you know, be active in recording. So a lot of the songs that were originally for this project didn't even make the final cut. It was just you know me telling myself you gotta continue to you know go against the you know go against the odds and try to make this happen. So I was just recording a lot of songs. You know, some of them were from my home, and some of them were some of the songs were at various studios in New York. Um, and it was just literally just a process, but a long process. I recorded, I'm gonna say, forty to fifty songs. Yeah, that's a lot of material. Yeah, it was just like trying to figure out what direction I wanted to go in. So like. Uh, in 2018, that's when I really started crunching down uh, the list of songs. And, you know, by March, I was, like, satisfied with the list that I had. And I wanted to keep it short because I, I wanted there to be no skips in my mind. And for me, like, I'm my toughest critic. So if there's no skips in my mind, then I don't think that, you know, the average person is going to skip to... Um, this project so I tried to keep it short if I didn't really love the song it didn't make it so you know originally I wanted the project to be 14 songs then it went down to like 12 then it went down to 11 and then finally um, it was like seven actual songs and two skits so I just wanted to keep it short I wanted to wanted it to be concise I wanted people to like catch the theme of it without having to think too hard and I wanted replay value so to me, I think it's short enough that, you know, you're not tired at the end of the listening. And then it's also short enough that if you want to run it back, you can do that as well and still feel like, you know, you have the rest of your day. It's not like a, a, a strenuous task to listen to my, my album. So I think it's like that perfect uh, balance. It's like that perfect happy medium. Um, where it's long enough and short enough for whatever you're, listen- you're trying to like, uh, accomplish in your listening experience. And how did you choose which songs were going to make the cut? Because as you said, you wanted to have a theme throughout the album. So were you trying to stick to that theme as much as you possibly could? And what would you consider the theme to be on this album specifically? So from track one to track nine, I really just wanted to express, you know, I keep saying it over and over because I really want to drive the point home, like fall in love with the process. Yes. So I kind of like foretell, you know, a little bit of what, what, you know, went on with me as far as, you know, label stuff, business decisions, and like the first two tracks. And, you know, by the middle of the album, it's literally getting to a point when I, uh, I believe it's track five, uh, fuck with me. I wanted people to realize that, like, you know what? I'm letting go of all that label stuff, all the past stuff, all those things that didn't transpire. And I want to just fall in love with the process and start over. I want to I wanna just be an artist and not worry about just, like, the, the, the tricks of the industry. I just want to fall in love with the process and see what happens 
you know, after that. And I want to be in control. So it's really just like regaining my confidence, regaining the love, and just like putting my best foot forward. You know, when you get to the last actual song, it's not the last track, but the last song, Whole Year, which is track eight, you um, hear me with a little bit more confidence, a little bit more swag. And I'm just like telling myself, like, the whole year is, which really means, like, you know, the rest of the time that I'm actually active and making music, I'm just going to continue to put my best foot forward. And there's nothing that anybody can do about it. So to me, it's just like a journey and just like finding myself within the space that I'm in as far as music is concerned. Like, cause it constantly changes. So at the beginning, I wasn't too sure. I just knew that I was frustrated. In the middle, I kind of realized, you know, it's time to let go of all those past demons and just start from scratch. And towards the end, it's just like I come to grips with where I'm at. And, you know, I'm just going to continue to put my best foot forward and focus on this new direction and, like, reroute myself out of the depression, the anger, just, like, the uncertainty of what what's going to happen. And now I'm just, like, falling in love with making music again, performing, just all the stuff that makes me an artist. And I'm not focused on the result anymore. I'm just solely embracing each step of the way. So you dropped the song Better Off As Friends prior to the full album coming out. So I would consider that the lead single. Why did you choose yeah. Better Off As Friends for the lead single? I think that was the most relatable, easy to follow song. It, it's kind of off the theme of the album, so that's why like, I, I chose to just like, kind of isolate it because I wanted it to be on experience. But um, yeah, I, I, to me, I think that's the most, that's the catchiest song. I think it's the most relatable. So I just wanted people to, I just wanted people's ears with the first song before I gave them like the whole project, the whole conceptual piece. So Bet Off His Friends to me is just like, it's just a relatable song. Um, I think a lot of people have been in that situation where they, you know, they're single, they're talking, they're dating, you know, they may have a couple of people that, you know, are higher on their list than the others, but, you know, you decide to finally take the next step and be in a relationship with somebody, but you don't let <laughs> the other people you were dating or, you know, Maybe there's another person that you were taking, talking to that was as serious as the person that you're now dating. It's that weird space where you're in this new relationship, but you also have this other person that you've kind of been dating and you may have feelings for and you know that they have feelings for you. It's just that awkward period of time where you question whether you should go forward in this relationship or, you know, have your cake and eat it too and not tell that person, but ultimately just realizing that, you know, trying to string them along is only going to hurt yourself, the person that you're with, and that person. So you just have to come to grips and just say, like, you know, it's probably better off that we're friends. And if we can't be friends, then, you know, it is what it is. But at least you give them that respect and just let them know that um, I'm with somebody right now and we can't continue to do the things that we were doing when we were single, when I was single. Especially so. now in 2019, this song could not be more relatable. I feel like only because of hookup culture and how people yeah. date nowadays and all that stuff that comes along with it. So I think that this was a good choice personally for the lead single. Thank you. Thank you. That, that was the goal. Just want to be relatable. What are some of your personal favorite songs off of the album, and which one was the hardest to record, and why? To answer the first question, some of my favorites would have to be definitely Welcome Back, Get Off His Friend, It's Okay to Cry, Call Your Friends, and um, FWM, which stands for Fuck With Me. Those I constantly like play just because like, it, it means a lot to me. Those songs mean a lot to me. But I would have to say the hardest song to record was It's Okay to Cry, Call Your Friends. Um, just because the, like that version that made the album is like the third version of that song. So like 
initially, I wanted to go like super, super personal and just like air everything out um, that was going on in my life. And um, I had to realize that it probably wasn't the best thing musically, especially for a first album. Like, and you know, still trying to gain fans and want people to like get to know you gradually. I didn't want to just give them everything my first time out. So I kind of had to like, you know, scale back. And the second version was still a little bit too heavy. And then we finally got to the version that you hear on the album. Um, yeah. To me, that was the most rigorous recording I had to, I've ever done in my life because it was just like a lot of emotion in those sessions. So, you know, I personally like feel it when I hear hear the final version because I know what I had to go through to get to that final version. And, you know, just knowing that there's more to come, like that content is going to probably be on my next album or, you know, future albums down the line when I have a big enough fan base where people, you know, have enough ears to, like, tell those stories, those intimate stories. But, you know, the version that you get on the album is definitely still intimate because, you know, I kind of talk about um, just, like, feeling certain things. And I think in today's world, we're just so desensitized and we always want to show, like, you know, social media is just, like, the highlights of everybody's yep. life. Yep. It doesn't show, like, the actual, you know, reflection of what people are going through. Like, everybody's a celebrity. Everybody's happy. Everybody's popular. So, like, to me, like, that song is just, like, telling people, yo, it's okay to feel stuff. It actually doesn't have to do with crying, like. It's not even about crying. It's just like, yo, it's okay to feel some shit. It's okay to go through real emotions. It's okay to not be okay all the time. And just that process to get that song to where I wanted it to be. So it's like easy. It's an easy listening. It's not too heavy. But just like the casual fan or the person that's just bumping into my music. But it's intriguing enough where it's like, okay, this guy may have a little bit more to himself than just like the average rapper. So... Um, to me, that's my favorite song right now off the album. So when you're recording songs and you are playing it back and being like, you know what, no, I can do better and stuff like that in the process of, you know, recording and then mixing, mastering, all that, how do you know with that feeling that you get this is the song, this is the final version. Because like you said, you've been through so many versions of certain songs and yeah. it's hard to determine which one you want to stick to and what you want to convey on your album. So how do you know that this is the one, this is that song, this is the final cut? Okay, so for me, if I don't get that, like I, I'm, I definitely, like when I'm listening back to music, I try to be objective as possible. So if I don't, get that feeling that I would get from, like, a Drake line that's just, like, out of this world. Like, I couldn't even think of that. Like, it gives me chills, goosebumps. If I don't get that from my own music, then I don't think that um, it's the final take. And I also have a group of people. It's not just me in the studio. So I have a group of people that I trust, and they're, they're quick to tell me, like, yo, that's not it. That's not it. That's not it. So once I get a certain reaction from, you know, my group of people that I um, had reviewed my music before I put it out, basically giving me the thumbs up or just, like, you know, giving me uh, criticism, constructive criticism. Once they give me that okay, I feel more confident. But ultimately, it is my final decision. And like I said, if I don't get that goosebump feeling, if I don't get that chill, like, oh, like, this shit was crazy. And, you know, obviously I know it's my music. But like I said, I try to be objective as possible. If I don't get that feeling as a fan, then it's not going to be the final take. And that's literally for every verse, every hook, um, every mix, every master. Like, everything has to give me that feeling as if I was listening to one of my favorite artist songs. Some of my personal favorite songs off of this album are Welcome Back and Better Off As Friends. It's okay to cry, 
and Whole Year. I love those songs. But what I also okay. truly love about this album is the interlude and the outro. So can you talk a little bit more about why you wanted to add kind of that spoken word? Does that go back to your brother being a poet and drawing influence and inspiration from him? Or you just had that feeling of wanting to make it extremely personal when you put this out? Well, it's both. So I'm glad you brought up my brother because that kind of ties into how, you know, I even got uh, the spoken word theme on the album. So, yeah, I did want to make it personal. Um, I wanted it to be intimate to the listener. I wanted to speak directly to who was listening to my project. That's how the uh, first interlude came about. And, um, you know, my brother being such a huge inspiration to me, it was literally like the power of the universe. Like, he doesn't live in uh, America. He lives in the U.K., so... You know, being in New York and him being in UK, that time difference is kind of difficult for us to communicate all the time. But he did end up in New York uh, just randomly. Like, I found out, like, literally the day before, two days before he was um, coming to New York. And I was working on the project. And my dream as a kid and just, like, making music was for him to be involved in some type of project that I was doing, whether it's a song, EP, whatever I was doing. I wanted him to be a part of anything that I was doing, but because he lives in, U in the UK, it's kind of hard for that to happen. And there's, like, a lot of family stuff, you know, over the years that, like, made it difficult. You know, there was kind of, like, droughts and communication and stuff like that, just regular stuff that family members go through, but it wasn't anything, like, personal between me and him. It's just, like, life shit. So, you know, fast forward, he moved, he, he was in New York for a little while, and I was recording the project, and he was listening to some of the songs, and he was, like, you know, inspired by the whole reroute theme, and um, I asked him, I was like, yo, if you, like, literally the day before he left, I said, yo, if you want to be on this project, that would be, like, that would be super dope to me. Like, that would make my dream come true. And he had this beautiful, 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 beautiful poem that he uh, recited to me. And I was like, yo, if there's any way that you could, like, lay this down for me before you go, um, that would be, be dope. But um, he actually didn't get to lay it down with me. But when he got back to um, London... He was able to record it, and sent, he sent it over to me. And I was like, yo, this has to be on my album. He gave me the okay. And um, I wanted it to close the album just so it could kind of, like, leave people hanging a little bit. Because I think it's so typical to, like, end on a song or, like, you know, just the typical outro record that sums up everything. But Right, you right. Know, you wanted to leave people wanting more. Yeah. It was almost like a cliffhanger. And, um, yeah. For me, I got satisfaction out of it, obviously, because I wanted my brother, I wanted to work with my brother on an album, on a song, like, my whole life, so to finally get him to work with me on a on a project, and it's, like, my first album was super, super dope, and I wouldn't have it any other way. It came out fantastic, truly. Those uh, moments Thank on the record, for me, were personal standouts. Thank you so much. And I have to say... Welcome back in whole year. We're going to be playing Welcome Back at the end of this episode for people to have a preview of it. But wow, those songs go hard. Welcome back in whole year. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, Welcome Back, I definitely wanted to come out on the bank. That's like traditional, that's like a traditional New York sound um, as far as the beat is concerned. So I wanted to like kind of figuratively like punch people in the face. Just like with that uh, that that aggression, that 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 tone on the first record, and um, you know, I'm 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 happy with it. I'm glad you like it too. So you know, that's definitely a plus. And speaking on that energy, you have such a great stage presence. When I went to SOBs you. and you performed earlier this month in New York City, you had such a great energy, great stage presence. 
in my opinion, it is so hard to put yourself out there and you're really being vulnerable in front of a brand new audience and people who you have to make that impression on. So how do you get past the vulnerability of putting yourself out there in front of people? What helps you? You just got to believe in yourself. And like people will see it. If you don't believe in yourself nine times out of ten, you're just not going to have a good performance. And that's not to say that you don't get nervous or you don't feel vulnerable, because you do, like I do. I'll speak for myself. I don't know. I can't speak for other artists. But for me, like, if you were to meet me um, outside, just like me doing music, you would not expect me to have that type of energy performing, because for the most part, I'm laid back. I like to chill. I'm not like a rah-rah type of guy. But... Something does come over you when you know you have to entertain, when you know you're um, in, in artist mode. And to me, it's just like an athlete. Like, before the game, you might be cool. You might do your pregame stuff. But once those lights are on, it's like game time. And that's how I feel before I get on stage. It's game time. So I like to perform. I like to entertain. I like to engage with people. I like that feeling when... You're in a new situation, you know, a new setting where you're performing in front of a new crowd, but you may gain a fan just because you locked eyes in a like hype part of the record or in a, a very intimate part of the song. Like you, you locked eyes with somebody new and they felt you, they felt your energy, they felt your presence, and you know that's exciting to me. So that adrenaline that you get um, kind of overrides that. Uh, feeling of like maybe being intimidated by you know letting yourself be vulnerable but like I said if you don't believe in yourself then you know it's gonna show but for me I wholeheartedly believe in my ability so you know outside of the like just being anxious to get on stage you know uh, I don't really see I don't really think about just being vulnerable too much before I get on stage because ultimately, that's what makes it the best performance, when it's just that raw energy, that raw emotion, and, you know, people can see it, they can feel it. That's very true. People can feel when you're faking it, and they know when you're being authentic. Yeah. What is something that you've learned along the way as an artist that you think is important for other creatives to learn? You know who you want to be, and it sounds so, sounds so simple, it sounds so basic, but I'm telling you, once you get... Like, if, you, if you're good enough to get to a point where, like, people who come to you to try to help you out, quote-unquote, and I, you know, exercise on the quote-unquote, help you out, once people, you know, that are in the industry feel like they can, you know, monetize off your talent, um, it's so quick to just, like, get sidetracked as to what you want. You know what I mean? Like, you'll have people start paying for clothes, cars, and trust me, like, I've been through all of this. Like, people will help you get shit that you think is important because you're not used to it. And then you forget, like, what you came into, you know, music for. And I just stress the artist to, like, stick to what you came here for. At least through the beginning, like, Get get in the game because you maintain who you who you are and you your your morals and stuff like that. When people start trying to invest in you and you know they try to guide you to do certain things that you you weren't really a hundred percent with prior to meeting up with them, but because you know they you know matter of fact yeah take this card and you know try it out, see if you like it, but you got to make this type of record, you know. They, there's a lot of trickery in the game, so you have to, like, stick to what you know you want to be. And it's hard. It's really hard because you being who you want to be may not be it for the industry, but you got to find a way to, like, maneuver through that and still, you know, break in. Because, you know, now it's just a matter of finding who your fan base is. Um, somebody's going to like you, but it's up to you to do that work to find out who's you. Who, who, you're, who you're talking to, who's your fan base, who, who's your audience, and then once you figure that out, continue to build it. It's, it. It might be 
a long process for some. It might be a shorter process for others, but stick to who you want to be and what you want out of the music. Don't get sidetracked by um, managers or investors or people that just want to promise you whatever it is just because, you know, in the long run, and right in the long run, in the short term, they're going to gain more from it than you actually do. So, like, try to have blinders on and just stay focused because it's so easy to get sidetracked. Like, they might have you at every at every popping party that you've never been a part of or never been able to get into uh, in exchange for, like, your music or just write the certain things that you put your heart hard work until you put your heart into it so just be careful like um don't sign anything without a lawyer um and yeah just stick to stick to your gun and stay focused because all the stuff that you think is important in the long run you're going to realize it's just bullshit at the end of the day and like the most important thing is to own whatever you're putting out and like be on top of your business what is something that you would want our listeners and your fans to know about you that maybe isn't shown through your music or social media? I feel like if you get to know me, like people that really know me know that like I'm like I'm I'm silly all the time. Like if I'm comfortable with you, <laughs> I'm, I'm constantly I'm constantly making jokes. Like I come from just that that background. Like growing up, you had to know how to like joke on people because, you know, that's just what we did as kids. That's just like the type of neighborhood I, I grew up in. Like, you have to be witty. You have to be quick with your words. So once you get to know me, know me, um, I'm a funny dude. I, I would say so. I'm definitely somebody that's um, keeping the room lighthearted. And, you know, my theory might be serious. If I don't know you, I might seem a little, even a, a little bit intimidating if you don't know me, but I'm totally just like a silly dude at the end of the day. And also not to take yourself so seriously, right? Yeah, like life is too short, man. And, you know, everything isn't that serious. I know we like to pretend that it is because, you know, social media likes to uh, portray this, I don't know, we're just in a hypersensitive uh, culture right now, but like, Sometimes it's just okay not to take yourself serious, not to take other people serious. Like, life is too short. I, I totally know. agree. Totally agree with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really quick, tell me about Dope University. When did you create this? So, Dope University was created in 2016. And it's just like my brand. Um, I plan to just like do a lot of things. As, as I get to where I want to be, I really want to showcase you know, what Dope University is. I want to do a lot of stuff with kids. Um, ultimately, I want to be able to get to a point where I'm opening up facilities where kids that want to, like, go into music and don't have the resources to record music or produce music or, like, shoot videos, directors. Like, I want to just create facilities where kids, are able to come in for free and utilize these resources because I don't think there are enough programs for kids to, like, do stuff, whether it's, I don't know, like, whether it's sports or culinary arts. Like, there's not enough facilities for kids to just, like, be active and use their their time constructively, so. Yeah, and stay out um, of trouble, right? Yeah, and, you know, because I'm in music, I wanted to have, you know, some relatability to, like, what I do. Um, yeah, I just want to have, you know, a place where kids can come and develop their skills and figure out if they really want to, you know, be a part of the music industry and, you know, not have to go through some of the crazy stuff I have to go through to figure out if I wanted to go, you know, be in this, this industry. So, you know, I kind of want to create a safe place where kids could use their time productively and, you know, just learn certain trades in the music industry. That is extremely admirable. I think that's fantastic. I love that you came up with that. Do you have any personal future goals for the rest of 2019 or maybe going into 2020? Can we expect more new music anytime soon? Oh, yeah. So for the rest of 
means you have to come back then <laughs> i would love to be back you know i this was this was great you know i love um telling my story and just like connecting with people um on, on platforms like this but yeah the song is called slow line and it will be out this summer i'm just like working out the business behind it right now but you know i want to get slow line out I want to get visuals out for reroute, and I'm going to be performing a lot uh, the rest of the year. I'm still mapping out where I'm going to do certain shows, but um, yeah, I'm just going to stay active and promote reroute the rest of the year. So we have a lot to look forward to, sounds like, for the rest of this year. Very exciting news. Most definitely. What is your website? Where can people find you on social media, and where can they follow Dope University as well? Oh, so right now we're on rebuilding the website so uh that's actually not up right now but if you follow me on instagram at dbd 516 dbd 516 you'll be able to find all of my links uh twitter youtube facebook soundcloud all my music is on every streaming platform available whether you use title whether you use spotify whether you use apple music amazon music um, Deezer, whatever it is, um, all you got to do is search that boy dope, B-A-T-B-O-Y-D-O-P-E, and my Dope University page is Dope University 16 um, on Instagram, and you'll be able to get all the updates with merch, uh, shows, and just everything relating to me and my brand. That all sounds fantastic, David. Thank you so much for coming on. Before I let you go... We are Music Matters Media, so I have to ask you, why does music matter to you? Music matters to me because it saved my life multiple times, and it gave me new life. I have a certain confidence because of music, and that's why it matters to me. David, I love that answer. Thank you so much for coming on today, and I hope to talk to you soon and for you to follow up and come back on whenever you would like. I would love to. I appreciate this opportunity. Music matters. This is like this is a dope, um, dope platform, and I look forward to being on here time and time again as I drop new music and just to kick it. Sounds great, David. I'll talk to you soon. Have a great day. You too. Wow, what an interview that was with David Rust, a.k.a. That Boy Dope. Wow, all I can say is he dropped so many gems of advice throughout this episode. His journey has been quite an inspiring one. He went from the lowest of lows to now currently riding the highest of highs, and he has so much more coming in the works, so I cannot wait to follow up with him in the future. Not only is David so incredibly talented, but very wise and I love his heart. He's coming from such a good place and he has really great intentions to help inspire people and just touch as many people as he can. And I think that is truly such an admirable thing and I love his message behind his music. So that's why I had him on today. If any of you got anything out of this episode, whether you were thoroughly entertained or you learned something, make sure to go show David some love. Go follow him on social media to see what he's up to. And don't forget to stream his album Reroute on all music streaming platforms. I'll put a link down in the description for everything to go find David. And luckily, he was kind enough to leave a song for us today. So right now, you are going to be listening to Welcome Back off of David's first full-length album called Reroute. So without further ado, here is Welcome Back.
production. Let's skip the introductions. I'm back from hiatus. High haters, it's nothing. All run down the bridge. Seen what y'all niggas did. Heard what y'all niggas said. But fuck it, I'm about this bread. Still remains, I'm unimpressed. Thank the Lord before I dress. But it ain't really about you niggas. I'm still a rapper. Had to flex. Really need a meek mill to chase my dream and stock invest. And I don't rap on instrumentals. Use the beat that's in my chest. Fuck a pen, I'm writing blood to make these niggas get the message. I'm back to the new me. The old me was overstressed. Writing more, sipping less. Getting shit up off my chest. Didn't need a mirror this time for me to reflect. I'm Jordan in the 4-5. Didn't miss a fucking step. Dribble right, shimmy left. Shoot my shot, all net. Silence all the haters at once. Ain't leave a second left. Looking at the crowd go wild as they lose their breath like. Trying to make change and it's start with my town. I'm here to stay, and that's work to the 